Good morning. When I was growing up in Louisiana, I remember listening to the radio in the car a lot, K104 out of Monroe, Louisiana, country station, and hearing these words almost every day. And now, the rest of the story. Of course, those were the words of Paul Harvey. Good day, right? And that's, that's ingrained in my mind, and I even remember his voice, even though the only way you can hear him now is to pull him up on YouTube. And I did that earlier this week as I was preparing this sermon. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever heard this one? I bet 90% of the audience has. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. Paul's right there. Young people, that just means not cool. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. Side point there. I care very much about what's going on in Washington, but at the end of the day, Washington's not going to save us. Jesus Christ is the only one who can turn this nation around. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid, that means highly inappropriate, literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon, I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouses, and then from the House of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors, and we understand he's coming at this from a denominational standpoint here, priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. 
If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. Again, he's coming at it from that perspective. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what do you bet I could get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich? I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun. That means shacking up. That what you see on TV is the way to be, and thus I could undress you in public. We need to remember that with summer months upon us. And I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. You know, that risk is there, but it's okay. We're going to do this anyway. In other words, if I were the devil... I just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey, good day. How many times have you heard those words? I've heard them, I think, replayed on the radio. It's been a long time now. But I think I heard them replayed live on K104, Monroe, Louisiana, when I was growing up. And since then, I've looked them up multiple times on YouTube and had a listen every once in a while because this was not recorded in 2015. It was not recorded in 2005 or 1995. It was recorded in 1965. And almost in a prophetic way, of course he's not a prophet, but he was speaking in such a way that the things he was describing we are seeing in this nation today. The devil has had his way. The devil has had a field day. 1965, the rise of the hippie movement, and the beginning of so many philosophies that we now see full seed in this country. This morning, I want to talk about the devil, and we want to become more familiar with his tactics. Like the soldier who is preparing To enter the battlefield, he must prepare to meet his enemy by knowing his enemy. Like the well-prepared athlete who has studied his or hers uh, opposing teams, their habits, their tendencies on the football field or the basketball court or etc., by watching film, he or she prepares to meet his or her enemy by knowing the enemy. And the same is true for us as we fight the spiritual battle that we are in, Ephesians chapter 6. We've got to know our enemy. Our enemy, according to 1 Peter 5, verse 8, is our adversary, the devil. And he's walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We want to talk about knowing our enemy this morning. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, our enemy is an adversary. When we think about enemies, when we think about adversaries, we understand that those opponents are strong. And like Goliath of old, who David had to face, because nobody else would, because they were all scared of him, an adversary is somebody that you don't necessarily want to mess with, right? That's the devil. He is not to be messed with. He is not to be overlooked Because he is strong. He is an opponent. 
If we're not careful, we will succumb to him in battle. He is walking around like that lion that you've seen on the screen. He's seeking whom he may devour. And so Peter says at the beginning of the verse, we've got to be sober. We've got to be vigilant because of what the devil is doing. We've got to be on the lookout because we've got to know our enemy. Somebody sent me this in Messenger uh, when they saw the sermon topic for today. Have you heard of Sun Tzu, Chinese general? He wrote The Art of War. Sun Tzu, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he is one of the greatest military tacticians that there ever was. And to this day, our generals are studying that book, The Art of War, and they're, they're teaching these principles to our military so that we can be effective on the battlefield. Sun Tzu wrote this, If you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. They say, and I don't know if this is just... Uh, legend or if it's actual fact, he never lost a battle. If you know your enemy and you know yourself, then you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Christian, do you know yourself? Do you know what you struggle with? Do you know where you're weak? And do you know your enemy well enough to know that he's going to go exactly towards those things to try to get you to stumble? No, your enemy. He's not to be trifled with. He is an adversary. I want to talk about some of the characteristics of our enemy this morning. Number one, he is a liar. John 8, verse 44, Jesus says, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. Why do we have death in this world? Genesis chapter 3, he helped introduce it. He tempted to sin, and sin caused death. That's the devil's fault. He was a murderer from the beginning. But not only was he a murderer from the beginning, he was a liar from the beginning. Because God said simply, you shall not take of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because if you do, you will surely die devil changes one word. devil says, you will not surely die. He's a liar. And Eve is dead and gone to this day, and so is her husband Adam. And we experience that from now on because of sin. But you know what I find interesting about John 8, verse 44? Do you know who Jesus is speaking to there? John 8, verse 44, he says, You are of your father the devil. The desires of your father, the devil, you want to do, and he's just a murderer. He's a liar. He doesn't speak any truth whatsoever. There's no truth in him. You know who he's speaking to? You might think he's speaking to the scribes or the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Verse number 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. He was speaking to believers. Jesus was speaking to believers, and he says, you are of the devil. 
Let that sink in for just a moment. There's no truth in the devil. He's a liar and the father of them. Number two, the devil is malicious. He is malicious. He is sneaky. He beguiled Eve. He tricked her. He used the one thing that she couldn't have to tempt her, and he did so subtly. Ephesians 6, verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. His wiles, his schemes, his deliberate plans to assault you with sin. Picture Wile E. Coyote. What was old Wile E. Coyote always doing? He was always trying to come up with some kind of plot, some kind of scheme to get that roadrunner, wasn't he? Some of these young kids don't even know what I'm talking about nowadays. You don't know what you're missing, kids. He was setting those traps. He was trying to get him to jump off of cliffs and trying to load him up with TNT. That's Wile E. Coyote. What does it mean to be wily? It means he's always thinking about something bad to do, and that is the devil. Except the devil's a whole lot more serious than some silly cartoon. The devil is malicious. He's evil. He's mean-spirited. He's got no good intentions whatsoever. You know, sometimes people do the wrong thing, but they, they had the good intentions. Their, their heart was right. They just happened to do the wrong thing, and it's still wrong, but they didn't mean to do it. That's not the devil. He means to do evil. He wants to do evil. That is his utmost desire, and he wants you to do evil as well, and he's trying to get you to do it. That's the devil. He's malicious. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3 says, But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, his trickery, his subtlety, his smooth manipulation. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. This book is not hard to understand. I know there are some things... I think it's Peter says that Paul wrote some things that are hard to be understood. But what we need to know, the gist of it, the big things, the important things, the gospel and how to live in it, live by it, it's not hard to understand. But the devil, what does he do? He deceives people. He uses craftiness to trick people into believing lies. And they're twisted to their own destruction. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, Paul talks about in the previous verse, a lack of forgiving will lead to Satan getting a foothold in our lives. And he says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He's got devices. The devil's got devices. You got any devices? You got any devices? The devil's got devices, and he uses them. The devil uses his favorite tools to get you and to get me. 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, John warns us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. Within those three broad categories, the devil has all kinds of tools in his toolbox to use at his discretion. The devil loves alcohol. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says that wine is a mocker. It's deceptive. Strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. How many homes have been ruined because of a little something called alcohol? It's deceptive. It promises so much, and yet delivers so little. And so the next time you're watching the Super Bowl, hopefully the second half of it because you were at worship before, next time you're watching the second half of the Super Bowl and you see all these alcohol commercials and you see, oh, look how great it looks. No, it does not. They don't show you the heartache. They don't show you the abuse. They don't show you the little family that got killed in the car wreck because of the drunk driver. They show you the glory of it. They show you how it looks so good as it sparkles in the cup. But the devil also loves lust. Matthew 5, verse 27, Jesus says that you have heard it said, Do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. He's not denigrating that, by the way, but he's building on it. And he says in the next verse, verse 28, Matthew 5, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so the idea being is that someone who is looking with lustful intent, he is just waiting for that opportunity. He hasn't had it yet, but... That opportunity comes knocking, he can't wait. That's a lustful person. And certainly it applies to male and female. That's why men like Job said in Job 31 verse 1 that he had to make a covenant with his eyes in order to avoid this particular sin. Joseph had to flee when Potiphar's wife tempted him day by day, Genesis 39. He had to flee. By extension, the devil loves pornography as well. I recorded a podcast uh, this past week on this particular issue, and it's going to come out in August. We're going to be real brief on this. This is something that's a difficult issue, and you've got little ears to think about. And, but just know this. Did you know that one scientific study conducted in the year 2020 found that 91.5% of men and 60.2% of women admitted to using pornography within the last month? 91.5% of men, 9 out of 10, and 6 out of 10 women. This was a couple years ago, and it's a growing problem. It's a growing problem in the world. It's also a growing problem in the church. The devil has had a field day. But he's also convinced a lot of people that as long as it's so-called soft core, it, well, it's okay then. You might be familiar with those terms, soft core and, and the alternative. That is, well, if it's PG-13 level of it, well, it's okay. Or if it's maybe R-rated, just as long as it's not NC-17, it's okay. I can look at that and it won't affect me whatsoever. It's not okay. It's still designed to provoke the same response. It's not just in movies either. It might be in a book. Some of these romance novels, better watch out. 
highly inappropriate. The devil also loves social media. You know he loves this one. You know why he loves this one? Because social media is neutral in the sense that it can be used for a lot of good. And there are a lot of good Christians that are on social media. But you know what? It can also just as easily be used for a whole lot of bad. I want you to think about your use of social media this morning. I understand it's neutral. I've said before, I haven't become my dad on this subject yet. He's totally against it. But I understand where he's coming from because there is a lot of evil in it. If we're not careful, we've got to avoid the evil of it. So many people get on there and use things for good, but they also get flooded with immorality, with dirty language, with immodesty, with, well, I'm going to join this group, and we're going to, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be a gossip factory on Facebook. I'm going to talk bad about my husband. Not me. If I were to do it, it'd be my wife, but. Don't do that. But people get on there. And sometimes people see, people in the world see Christians posting things that Christians ought not be posting. They see us posting worldly things. And the devil eats it up. He loves it. The devil loves it. On and on we could go listing some of the devil's favorite devices. The devil, he loves division. The devil loves denominationalism, taking up his church and splitting in all different factions. The devil loves divorce. God hates it. The devil loves lying. The devil loves lust. The devil loves lasciviousness, getting out there on that dance floor and getting down, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Because getting down means filthiness. And it leads most of the time to other filthy things. The devil loves abuse. The devil loves addiction. The devil loves adultery. The devil loves gossip. The devil loves grumbling. The devil loves gambling. The devil loves pride. The devil loves Pharisaism. The devil loves perversion. Whether we're talking about from morality standpoint, perverted morality. You know, somebody doesn't start off accepting homosexuality and transgenderism and all that. They start off by perverting what God has created as holy. Hebrews 13, verse 4, marital intimacy. They pervert it just a little bit. And they pervert it a little bit more and a little bit more. That's the, that's the way that perversion happens. That's how it takes place, little by little. And it just expands from there. But also perversion of God's holy doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, the words of Christ, perverting it, twisting it to our own destruction. Well, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to look for every loophole I can to get out of it. The devil loves it. Incidentally, all those things that the devil loves, God hates. But lastly, this morning, I want to take note. The devil, we've already semi-mentioned this. You know what? He doesn't operate all at once. He operates incrementally, little 
by little. You see, if the devil had started with all of the agendas that in the year 2020 are to a large degree widely accepted, if he had started with all of these, the transgender and and everything else that we're seeing now, if he had started with that 70 years ago, it would have got shot down right then and there. Why? Because we weren't putting up with that junk 70 years ago. But in that 70 years, we did put up with this. And we did put up with this. And we did put up with that. And incrementally, he has introduced so much perversion and filth into our society that we, to a large degree, we don't, but to a large degree, we, society, accepts lunacy. Absolute lunacy. It's biology, folks, and we can't even have biologists admit biology anymore. You can't swallow a horse, but you can one bite at a time. You can't swallow an elephant at once, but you can one bite at a time, and that's what the devil has done. He is incremental. And so, before you know it, we've gone from just one little curse word and gone with the wind to now you can't even find very many movies at the movie theater that doesn't have 40, 50, 60 F words and others that are box office hits. Lindsay and the kids and I on Friday went to our first movie at the movie theater we've been to in a long time because... We love doing that, but we can't find anything worth watching. They came out with one called Family Camp, and it was pretty family-friendly for the most part. There was one or two things, even in it. I was like, I don't really like that part. But There's filth at the movie theater, and we love going to the movie theater. We love buying that $6 popcorn. And that $5 drink. No, it's, it's about escaping from the world and seeing that big screen. We like that. We used to go more often, but we we can't. It's hard to find stuff to go watch. The devil incrementally has introduced a lot of filth into those movies. And it continues to get worse and worse. And Christians, (laughs) bafflingly, somehow continue to try to justify supporting various things at the movie theater or in books or on TV or on the radio or you name it. They continue to try to invariably justify and say, well, you know what, I know, but but oh. they try to do it, even knowing fully well that Romans one thirty two says, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but those who approve of those who practice them. The devil operates incrementally. He tried to work that way through Potiphar's wife to Joseph. If you read in Genesis 39, verse number 10, it says, day by day she was tempting him. I bet this was a beautiful woman. She's married to a high-ranking official in Egypt, I guarantee you. She was a beautiful woman. And she came to Joseph, not one time. 
She did not throw herself at him one time. No, this was day by day. Perhaps it started with a little whisper in his ear. And perhaps it was neutral in the sense that, well, what did she mean by that? Maybe it could be taken one of two ways, and it could be perfectly harmless, or it could have been taken, hey, uh, that's inappropriate. Maybe he's thinking, what did she mean by that? And then maybe she flirts with him a little bit more, and and a little bit more uh, without restraint, and it's more open. And now she's throwing herself at him a little bit later in the text. Day by day, incrementally, Joseph was tempted. But you know what? I'm thankful that Joseph resisted. He fled, didn't he? You see, he was prepared. His heart was right. He loved God. He loved Potiphar. He didn't want to do wrong by God or Potiphar in taking that which was not his to take. But I wonder how long David struggled with lust, looking at things that he wasn't supposed to be looking at before he saw Bathsheba from that rooftop. Then going and inquiring about her, and we know the rest of the story. I wonder how long Judas Iscariot struggled with the love of money and thievery before he went as far as to betray our Lord for something as trivial as 30 pieces of silver. The devil operates incrementally. The question is how do we defeat the devil? How do we defeat the devil? I'm glad you asked. You might find that this is a little bit of review because I've done a similar sermon recently. Go back and read Matthew chapter 4. Go back and read Luke chapter 4, both of those accounts. The accounts of Jesus being tempted by the devil yet without sin. How do we defeat the devil? Jesus knew the word. John chapter 1, he was the word. Of course he knew it. Jesus hid the word in his heart. Psalm 119 verse 11 Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Jesus proclaimed that word to the devil's face. It is written. It is written. It is written three times, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, when the devil tempted him. If you do that, you you know the word, you hide it in your heart, you proclaim it when that devil comes calling. You can defeat the devil, James 4 verse 7. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We've got to know our enemy. We see the destruction that he's causing. We see it everywhere. We've seen it in our own families. We've got to know him. We've got to know his tactics so we can prevail. Think about your life this morning. If your heart is pricked with the gospel of Christ this morning, if you've never obeyed his gospel, come. Repent of your sins. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins, believing on him so that you can be saved. Come and be baptized into Christ this morning. If you need to come because for whatever other reason your heart has been pricked,
because the devil has a foothold on you. Please come as together we stand and sing.